0: And welcome to yet another episode of The Dice Are Screaming. Oh
1: oh, oh, oh,
0: oh, Those dice sound like they need a tune-up. Ah, well. <laughs> the wielder of the voice of the screaming dice
1: can probably use a tune-up himself. No, true. <laughs>
0: yeah, but the mud dice. That's what we are. We are the mud dice. <laughs> the, the dice that
1: have been rolled so many times that they have almost been rendered... Uh, shapeless, just you know, more like ball bearings than dice at this point.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> true, true. Oh,
1: life has worn off all the rough edges.
0: Uh, uh, yep, but thanks for joining us. Uh, we got a good episode lined up for you tonight, so hopefully, you'll join us for more of our ensuing rabble rousing of talking about old school gaming, new and wonderful things that have to offer our gaming palette. As well as just having a good time and listening to us ramble on about things that we have no notion of or right to speak about.
1: Yeah, yeah, literally. No. <laughs> rebels without a clue.
0: Yeah, we don't know. <laughs> so anyway, But
1: we know that we're rebels without a clue. And you know what? That's important. So,
0: Yeah, it's been a pretty nice day out today. So, hope you're out enjoying the weather. And if you can, uh, let us know what's going on in your neck of the woods. Yeah, it's
1: Tuesday, you know, Topic Tuesday proper, so uh, we'll actually be uh, piece by piece properly disassembling a a topic that is dear to our hearts, something that we've enjoyed playing many times in the past that I I think is an overlooked masterpiece. So Yeah, somewhat tragically Excited. Yeah,
0: so we'll keep you in stitches for just a little bit longer. Yeah, you can
1: expect no less from the Naked City of gaming podcasts.
0: The Naked City. Yeah. That's very relevant.
1: Yeah. But, and sometimes you wish the city would put its damn clothes back on. Yeah. But, this is the Naked City. There are a thousand stories in the Naked City. Yeah, and this is one of them. Uh. Almost all of those stories end with somebody shouting, put your damn clothes back on! Be quiet, we're trying to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> so not people have sucks. jobs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be our gaming podcast
0: all right on so we've got a call in from a first time call in tonight so we're gonna get on to that huzzah make merry that's right so without further ado we're gonna go right to the call in so be back in just a moment hi guys it's laren from updates from the middle of nowhere and I just wanted to say I was just listening to your podcast about sorting out the personalities of your players if you're the uh, DM, and I went to a conference about a month ago, and a convention I mean, and I hadn't been to one in like 11 years, and I have to say that I saw at many a table of the games that I played just how artful the person I have to pull out of their shell, who's the person I'm going to have to make sure doesn't run everybody else over. So, I was really impressed with the ability of um, the people who ran my games, and I had not considered that that would be a necessary skill. Although, I mean, I'm a complete noob, so, you know. (laughs) Anyway, thanks for a great podcast. All right, and we're back. And thanks, Lyran. Thanks for that insightful call, and uh, of course, welcome.
1: Yeah, welcome to the club. Hey, and... I'm very glad that you got some mileage out of that. That, that uh, it, it is an interesting facet of gaming. is, it, and I, I'm not saying it's a rarefied art form or something that is impossible for people to get the hang of. Uh, but it is kind of a learning curve for every new DM. Uh, they find themselves in that position where they're sussing out uh, how to stitch together a really divergent group of people with widely varied interests. It, it's not... it's nowhere near as easy as some folks make it look. Uh, I always honestly thought in some respect it was the hardest part. Uh, the storytelling can be something that a person is enthusiastic about and that comes naturally to them, but the traffic cop mentality of uh, figuring out how to people manage Man that's that is a slowly painstakingly acquired skill. Yeah. Uh, which hey lends itself to mentioning that uh, D&D and DMing uh, role playing games and participation in them do have some real life perks. There there are skill sets that you acquire from role playing scenarios that can wind up being incredibly useful in the workplace, uh, which, I mean, it's just one more thing I champion about the game, aside from the high level of literacy it, it encourages.
0: Yeah, and you can prep hard for a game or a session and know your material, but until you really sit down with your players, and especially if you're going into a game cold not knowing them, it can be a little rough. So it is a skill that you've definitely have to have in your DM toolkit.
1: Oh, especially when you deal with an idiot like me. I mean, this poor guy over here, uh, you know, how, how many campaign plans have I, like, sidelined, you know, over the last 35 years?
0: <laughs> well, that also comes with a good skill of being able to improv and land on your feet.
1: <laughs> uh, he learned. People. He learned to be ready for anything.
0: <laughs> yep, and how to steer things back on track whenever <laughs> the opportunity presented itself. And it's an important thing. But yeah, thank you for calling in, and hopefully, we'll hear more from you and you enjoy what we're doing out here. Yeah, so, uh, gracias. Yeah. Uh, we're going to take a quick break before going into the topic to uh, pay the bills, as I like to say, for some advertisement. And we'll be right back after the break. So, stick around. All right, and we're back. So, thanks for sticking around after that advertisement. Anchor Podcast, of course. Yeah, one of our favorites.
1: And uh, Anchor, how many ways do I love thee? Let me count the ways. (laughs) You know, even just hideously outdated cretins like ourselves can can master the simple skill set needed to make a podcast. And I'm thankful for that because my, <laughs> my technological skills have only just barely moved past rubbing sticks together to make fire.
0: Yeah, and it's it's easy to use, and we love it. So, And, of course, it puts us in contact with lots of great folk all around the web. So we love being part of the Anchor Podcast family, and hopefully you'll will it as well. Now we've been uh, fiddling around with Topic, and we've been teasing you. Oh, tease. Taunt, taunt. Taunt, yes. taunt. And so... I shall
1: taunt you a second time. Oh, no. (laughs) Taunt me.
0: Ah, you vex me. Um, Silly
1: English knights. Yeah, kniggets.
0: Our topic for tonight is Telazlana. That's right.
1: Oh, the the literally... uh, The the hidden jewel of role-playing games. The the unappreciated wonder. And I'm going to use a word here that I don't often use. Uh Uh-oh. Uh, a word that uh, it's used so often under less than auspicious circumstances. You know, if, if you remember 70s television, they loved, uh, they loved to beat this word up. But it's true. It is a cornucopia of wonders. Just like a gift basket that keeps on giving. Just yes,
0: boom. overflowing with weird, odd ideas, different takes than your standard fantasy tropes. And, of course, Line is known famously for its Battle Cry of... No Elves! And I I do want to give the background for that.
1: Its Battle Cry of No Elves was seen in the pages of Dragon Magazine when the game was first released. I I believe it was... What year was that released?
0: Uh, 87. Alright. I think there was some stuff from Bard Games in the early 80s, but Line itself, the setting was released in 87.
1: So, in its first iteration, you know, as it was being advertised in Dragon Magazine, we saw that advertisement. No elves! Uh, Which, hey, to give credit where it's due, uh, Dungeons and Dragons had, you you could count on two hands the number of background options you really had. Uh, Now, you know, admittedly, if you vary things so that you have a variety of classes and a variety of backgrounds, uh, you know, the the dwarves and elves and gnomes and haplings and what have you, uh, you can shuffle things around a little bit and and be pretty novel. Talislanta, the absolute opposite. I, just a, 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 a scores
0: a, a dizzying potential. array.
1: Yeah, just it will stun the unwary, um, and it, it's not like this is a steep learning curve. The book is right there we're holding the 4th edition right here with us. Right. uh, As a point of reference. Uh, But we did not play the original 1st edition. We picked it up right around its second iteration, and I believe we played through the 3rd and now into the 4th edition.
0: Yeah, it has a wide and varied uh, publishing history, and uh, (laughs) it's a tragedy in my eyes that it has not been uh, released for a new edition, especially considering a lot of the games that are giving the forever editions uh, treatment these days, like RuneQuest and Call of Cthulhu.
1: Yeah, where they're really sticking with one system, and, well, at Talislanta would be a perfect candidate. Yeah, They have been very true to their core concept. This is not a game that, if you played the first edition, there's no relationship between that and the fourth edition. It has not radically evolved. It has been
0: republished from time to time,
1: but always very close to its original yeah, core concept.
0: The, the original version uh, the first one I, we really didn't play, the second edition from Bard Games we played and then uh, it was republished by Wizards of the Coast, a small little company in Seattle. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was before the uh, blistering, heady days of Magic the Gathering. And of course uh, Wizards of the Coast took the Talos and gave it the best treatment they could at the time. They were a little limited budget. But uh, this was before they got uh, a hold of Magic the Gathering and uh let that go where it went. But nonetheless, uh, it was released later and then uh given over to uh Shooting Iron Press, which uh brung back uh Stephen Michael Sessi. And that's a Renaissance man that we need to pause for a moment.
1: Yeah, let's let's give a little reverent nod to one of the uh you know, core developers here.
0: Yeah, he was uh he's a musician, uh jazz musician, horn player. Uh I mean among other instruments of course. But uh yeah, I actually sat in with some Fleetwood Mac. Oh, man. Session player.
1: You know, which would not be as cool to me as, like, if he had been there for, like, the uh, first Fleetwood Mac sessions when it was Peter Green's Fleetwood Mac. Uh,
0: but that's still pretty cool. Uh, you know, Right. And it goes without saying that uh, his involvement with the game early on was pretty much a work of love. He wasn't doing it for a great... Uh, financial reward, you know, this was just something he dreamed up and conjured up, and boy, you can definitely tell <laughs> that he was on to a different verb than just token fantasy. And not to disclaim anything about oh, token, no. as, and everybody can see the meme we put up on the uh, Facebook post today. Da rings. Hmm? You know, you'll, you'll see it when you, uh, you'll get it when you see it, of course. But uh, he puts in there this quote about uh, a review that another... Uh, game author put in there on Dragon Magazine named Rick Swan. We're back in the uh, mid-days of Dragon Magazine. He said it's as if H.P. Lovecraft had written Alice in Wonderland with Hans Christian Andersen and William S. Burroughs. And boy, does that sum up what Tell Line is about.
1: <laughs> yeah, it is the uh, magic mushroom uh, trip of role-playing games. It is, it is much, much wilder and weirder. Than most, there there are whips of that Cthulhu, uh, you know, dark, chaotic universe, uh, you know, powerful Power. forces, uh, distant from mortal, distant from mortals, you know, at work at like the edge of your perception. There's a little hint of that too. And there's nightmares, but a lot there. of whimsy, a lot of fun, uh, a lot of political intrigue,
0: and you know, purely mortal hijinks. Yeah, and you can still do your dungeon delvings, and because there's scattered ruins. But let's dig right into Talazino. All right, yeah, let's let's launch. So, one of the core uh, principles of Talazino is nothing is the same. That is really uh, important. Just like uh, Jack Vance's Dying Earth where everything was somewhat familiar, but yet always different. Changed somehow in a far future, where the sun was starting to slowly fade into a red star.
1: Yeah, nothing that you would remember of traditional earth flora and fauna was left. Everything had morphed into something considerably different. Uh, And Teloslanta is absolutely true to that Vancean vision.
0: You don't ride horses. You write equus, and equus actually have their own language. You must negotiate with them.
1: Yeah, because they are not without the means of their own to uh, negotiate your ending.
0: Right. Even the flowers have their own sentience in times and have to be reasoned with or spoken to with botomancy.
1: Yeah, do do not lightheartedly go skipping out to the field to hack down. Uh, a few bushes uh, to haul home
0: for alchemical swag could end horribly for you. And if you make camp, you could be approached by a small group of bugs called Caravan Bugs who bring trade items yeah. and will negotiate with you for small trinkets and potions and berries of magical abilities.
1: Yeah, just a, a world of wildly divergent ideas from the things that we're used to. Uh, very novel thinking. I...
0: <laughs> yeah, and it all starts in the Seven Kingdoms. Now, this is the aftermath of a great war between two powers of advanced magic and technology. And they wore themselves down to nothing but ruins. And from the ruins arose a new order of things. And out of this sort of post-magical apocalypse, the Simrillians, these green... Slightly elven-like creatures.
1: Yeah, uh, there there are no elves, but there are any number of races that are pointy-like. You know, the the pointy ear shtick does not necessarily mean elf, and the powers and abilities and strengths and weaknesses on many of these races are radically different. So
0: they started the first kingdom. Uh, they had airships, and they were able to cover great distances and enforce their will. But rather than being conquerors, they came as Saviors and reclaimers of a lost legacy yeah, of they the Archaeans. They they did not
1: so much rule over other territories; rather, they kind of helped the world get back on its feet. Form their own little cliques and kingdoms, and, you and know, they found
0: some allies, yeah, mainly they, the inimical thrall, the thrall, the warrior race who were bred for war and are absolutely identical, only having two genders, male and female, of course. But everything about them is made for martial pursuits. They are very fit, very strong, and just within a matter of a few weeks, even the youngest of them are capable of carrying out small tasks of being messengers and even banner bearers. Yeah, male or
1: female is largely irrelevant with the Thrall. Yes, They are all unilaterally
0: butt-kickers. And they are very strong and tough. Not so wise in the ways of non-war, but when you ask them, you put... Questions to them in the ways of war, like, how many ballista would it take to take down this castle wall? Well, suddenly they could become super geniuses.
1: Yeah, that, that it's one of the unique facets of that race is that they have a intelligence that is perfectly suited for a very specific narrow task. And outside of that, they're like a fish out of water. Uh, if you were to ask them about, you know, well... How many horses will we need for this merchant caravan?
0: Or equus? You know, uh,
1: well yeah, how many equus will we require to make this caravan uh, get to where we're going before we run out of water? Uh, The logistics of that would not occur to them. However, if you were to rephrase the same story question as, you know, an army of 1,000 requires food and drink so that it may lay siege to a castle for for a term of 30 days, how much will be required? Bam. They know it. So,
0: yep. you know, neat. I, and I, they ride Manganel lizards, these very fierce lizards of a surly demean- demeanor that they find rather amusing. <laughs> but that is what they ride in the war. And they tattoo themselves too, since they all are identical.
1: Yeah, the, the tattoos allow them to possess uh, some hint of personal identity. And to also, in some cases, to mark great acts. uh, Mm -hmm. And And valor. You know, to to show their valor and to record their deeds uh, on their own flesh.
0: And also the traders known as Casmirians, who are also trapsmiths. And very good with acquiring money. Almost a little Ferengi-like in that way, (laughs) but uh, I kind of digress because they came well before the Ferengi were out in the wild. (laughs) <laughs> of popular culture but yes they have rules of acquisition and wealth and they love to cover themselves in ostacious means
1: oh yes the you know finery and you know uh, displays of their successful mercantile ability uh, to to show off basically to preen and say uh, behold could a merchant who is incompetent
0: afford such finery yeah. and also their ability to make cunning and ...keen magical traps that are diabolical in their purpose. <laughs> <laughs> Which, Which makes them the good, perfect traitor and rogue type you would want to have in a party of adventurers.
1: But, you know, this is just a little snapshot of the unusual background stories and niche... Yeah,
0: the, seven, the other seven races, uh, let's see, there's the yeah. Uh, Gnomekin.
1: Yeah, the Gnomekin of the Kingdom of Dern. Uh, a very proudly matriarchal society... Uh, With
0: crystalmancy as their form of magic. Yes. uh,
1: That of the earth and of crystals, they are very skilled. And uh, adept miners and knowers of underground places, not that radically different from D&D. But they are actually quite strong.
0: Yep, And also of the uh, enigmatic muse, who are large butterfly-like sliffs with antennae and all that. They are mute, but aided in their Day-to-day tasks by small, little creatures called wisps, uh, who perform yes. their menial tasks and take care of them, because they are rather indolent and somewhat uh, distracted by their own empathy. They just, yeah. dis- but of course, um, they can be useful to adventurers as di- diplomats as well as couriers for messages, since they can speak telepathically to yeah. one another, since they refined speaking with. Words to be tiresome.
1: (laughs) Probably the only beings in existence to develop telepathy only on the basis of their laziness.
0: Mm.
1: Oh man, all of this talking is exhausting.
0: There's got to be... They'd rather uh, sit and look at each other because they are fantastically beautiful. (laughs)
1: Long, meaningful glances. Kind of like the ones I have when I stare at a pizza.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) And of course, the dual encephalons... Sindarin, a race from the stars that came to Earth and during its post-cataclysmic days and established a colony. And then, uh, for other means that that's not completely known to them, they could not leave. But they have two brains and are constantly awake, and always have two minds about everything. Well, but dear. are great sages and scholars, but incapable of understanding magic.
1: Ah, well, and that's one of those moments where you see technology, uh, you know, uh, as a facet of gameplay in
0: mm-hmm. Taloslanta. Yes, where... they are very much uh, more according to science than they are magic, although they do have a fondness for studying the arcane arts.
1: Now, I, I, when we mention the magic system here, um, we've got to mention Jack Vance, who is yep. a huge inspiration uh, to the authors of Talislanta. And Jack Vance, we have mentioned before, particularly in the Appendix N episode, of the podcast a long time ago, and that Appendix N referenced Jack Vance, whose novels were a very large part of the basis for the magic system in d and mm-hmm. uh, And once again, it is the basis of a great deal of stuff in Talislanta even now, so uh, <laughs> Mr. Vance certainly put a lot of nuggets in the minds of gamers. Okay? Yeah.
0: And also, uh, outside of the boundaries of the Seven Kingdoms, they have many enemies, but um, some of them, the Quan Empire, a ruler of very corrupulent creatures that uh, were once mighty warriors, but have since become so civilized that they have now almost become immobile, fat, and overindulged by their servants and slaves.
1: That Uh, reminds me of something in, uh... oh... um. Robert Asprin's Myth Adventures was uh, a universe where uh, people had evolved into two groups and it was just like these people who were very tall and very skinny, almost skeletally skinny uh, uh, and not particularly strong and, and then people who were just positively enormous uh, but you know were just really bogged down by their own weight and then there was an intermediary group uh, that technically was like a third separate offshoot. Uh, and it was the stock from which all of their competitors in sports came from. Hmm. Uh, and so, you know, you had these, (laughs) you know, these, these perverse extremes, but yeah, it's a bit like that. The, the warrior race that has gone to pot.
0: Yep. And they're aided now by their king warriors who are barely sentient at birth, but, uh, are very fierce and ferocious, all bent on martial warfare, and as well as several other servitors, as and other slaves, specifically made, uh, for a an, from another age as servitors, like the monad servitors, which do a lot of work throughout the uh, Taloslina setting. They're simple creatures, very tall, almost eight uh, and a half feet tall, semi-identical like to the thralls, who just over a period of time will just simply morph into two creatures oh. after a period of time. And uh, they can do very specific tasks if led or instructed well, but uh, are not very intelligent on their own. Which makes them great pack bears for your dungeon expeditions. Uh-huh. Yeah, they don't really know. Other than food and water, that's all they require. But, that's just one of the enemies, and the Zah Beastmen, a wild uh, mix of just savage and ferocious creatures that have never really been Civilized and have eschewed civilization to the point that now all they want is to destroy it and return everything to the savage primitism that they dwell in.
1: Yeah, that just an absolute. Uh, what was the term for that? Luddite, You know, just yep. a total hatred of the trappings of civilization, uh, <laughs> to the point that you know the hostility has has become like their their cultural calling card. Yep. Civilization. Oh, I believe we destroy that. Yep. Uh, this entire conversation has become too organized. Mm-hmm. Start, start chopping. So. <laughs> start. I didn't know there was going to be
0: this much talking. <laughs>
1: oh, or the Ur, uh, who occasionally, a renegade of the Ur, yep. uh, can wind up as an adventure. I mean, if you can imagine a 600 pound barbarian, you know, shaggy creature that yep. uh, is extremely skilled in martial combat uh, and. Well, the only way to be a renegade is to be despised by your own people. So there's no going home once they, like, quit and go wander the world. Uh, they're pretty much wanderers for life at that point. Well, um, until something finally kills them.
0: Exactly. And which
1: is no mean feat when you're dealing with a five or 600-pound barbarian creature.
0: But you could also play a uh, griffin-like humanoid called the Griff, strangely enough, who <laughs> possesses rings and a hawk head but also are much... They have a hawkhead. Yes, they do. They have a predatory avian continents, and they are very fierce, but also uh, noble in their own ways. They have rules of engagement and hunting, which preclude them just being savage warriors.
1: Oh, yeah. It's very much uh, more of a morality of altitude kind of scenario, Mm -hmm. where they just simply have a different perspective on things based on having been a flying predator... That has moved its way, evolving slowly to a fully sentient and civilized people. Uh, So, you know, again, a running theme throughout Talislanta is the radical difference in the way in which things of different backgrounds see the world. And uh,
0: you know, you look at pity uh, with creatures without wings. (laughs) Actually, you don't know what it is to fly. Hmm. How sad. Yes, and, of course, there's also, part uh, of the west, the Inheritors of the Cult Wars, a great city that is divided into two parts <laughs> by a wall. And the <laughs> northern part of the wall is where the Amanians, who all dressed head-to-toe in complete, ro- uh, complete head-to-toe robes that uh, masked any identity or gender, and they also denude themselves of all hair, so that there will be no distinguishing marks, so that they can worship their singular god, Ah, the omniscient, omnipotent. They have a priesthood of deep complexity, headed by inquisitors who maintain the faithful, and they have a book of one answer, Ah. That is all. Ah is all, and all is omnipotent. On the other side of the wall are the Paradoxalists, the Zanderian folk, who follow a strange religion that is called the Paradoxalism, which is a book of ten thousand questions, and their priests are charlatans.
1: <laughs> huh. Yeah, absolute answers and absolute questions—just you know, perfect, total opposites.
0: You yep, know, they had to be separated by a wall to maintain some type of peace and organization of an identity of their race. But. Talzani is full of all sorts of wonders, like the dude on witch women, who can steal the soul of a man or a person with a kiss. Obviously, you don't enter in a kissing contest with them. But they possess the singular ability to call to the eldritch powers of witchcraft. And they have a secret of religion that the Amanian Inquisitors want to stamp out, because it's bad.
1: Well, you know... While we mention the creatures and races uh, and some of their backgrounds and the reasons why they're, you know, so radically different, uh, also worth mentioning is the slight differences in core system of concepts between Taloslanta and Dungeons and Dragons.
0: So, yeah, Taloslanta is a, another thing that uh, is very similar. Is of course that Taloslanta is. It's own game. It's a complete game. It you know if you want to play a gaudin Sea Rogue, a pirate, it's a pirate's life for me. Um, or you want to play a Samurian Swords Mage, that's all there for you. And those are typical archetypes that you would find in almost any uh, fantasy setting, but they have a unique little spin on them. And also their planes, they have their own planar out uh, outlier, which is. Somewhat similar to DD, that it has a you know, elemental planes and all of that. But it has an upper and lower planes that are completely different, as well as other planes of existence, which of course then comes the nightmare realms.
1: Uh, there are, however, some similarities, uh, what are referred to as attributes and the ratings of those attributes. Uh, everybody who has played DD or Pathfinder is familiar with the classics, the strength, uh You know, dexterity, constitution, charisma, things like that. Now, very similar here. Uh, They also have intelligence and charisma and constitution and strength. Uh, But there's a couple little differences. There is no wisdom score per se. There's perception and will. Which, perception being somewhat different from actual intelligence... Uh, being more of a measurement of the ability to sense and, you know, view uh, other, you know, to recognize and perceive what is going on around them. And will, of course, the the internal strength, uh, the, you know, character to uh, resist influences and things like that. Uh, Likewise, as opposed to just a dexterity score and then rolling for initiative, they have a speed attribute in addition to a dexterity attribute. And speed is how who moves first is really decided. And also your move it Yeah, you're, you, how quickly do you move and uh, how swiftly do you respond to new events. Uh, that's another little structural difference. But yeah. one thing I want to mention is the hit points, which is... This is more of a static score forever.
0: Yeah, like RuneQuest or uh, Call of Cthulhu.
1: Yeah, this this is not a score... This is not a statistic that you ultimately change a great deal. The hit points you have in the beginning are the hit points you have more or less forever.
0: Well, as you level up, you get to choose where you want to put your stats. And you can, of course, uh, imp- as you level up, you can put improvement points in. And hit points is one of the ones that you have an option to add to.
1: But that... Two makes for very slow gains. Right. Um, so you're not really going to see it, the incredibly visible difference between a first-level character in D&D and a 20th-level character in D&D. You know, that uh, one has got like, you know, like, I have six whole hit points. And then much later, you know, like, I've got 112 hit points. Okay, that's a pretty stark difference. That's never going to happen in this game. However, with the acquisition of goods and the enhancement of skills, it is possible to reduce the damage that you take in combat. Yeah, it,
0: um, armor absorbs damage in the system. It doesn't make you harder to hit. And, of course, uh, does uh, dodging and other things are important, as well as parrying. And also, one of the things I should mention about the character concept is rather than having stats, they just have bonuses. So rather than having a 12 you would have a plus one rather than having an 18, you would have a plus four in certain places. So they just go with bonuses rather than just a, a straight, uh, three to 18 type of static stat. But Dallas line has changed a little bit in the system and how it's done things. But the core concept is still roll a die 20 and add and, or subtract then depending on the value and what the condition that you're fighting in or find yourself in.
1: Yeah. But whether you're opposed in your action or not, and of course, not unlike the you know critical system in D and D, there's you know uh, critical success yep. and of course critical failure, which they refer to as mishap, which is a far friendlier term until you realize that the DM has just been handed a free opportunity to uh, create moments of hilarity or agony, depending on how badly that dice roll went.
0: Yep, and it's a pretty intuitive system and it's rules light, but it's also very Intuitive and also pretty complete on its whole, just like the game. Besides just the uh, adventuring content of traps and dungeons and environments like the sea and, of course, arid conditions of the deserts, which there are many here, as well as the Arctic regions, almost every place has its own races and unique monsters and foes to fight, as well as allies or um, neutral parties to turn to one side or the other.
1: Yeah, so wherever in the world that you happen to start a campaign in Talislanta, I mean, it's just, it is handily referenced in such a way that no matter where you are, you've got a pretty good idea of what the area is populated with and, you know, who's technically easy to deal with and who might be far harder to deal with and who you probably shouldn't deal with at all.
0: The void, yeah, the best possible.
1: Uh, uh, Also, likewise worth mentioning, the single book approach that Tal-Atlanta ran with in pretty much every edition. Now, there are supplements that are out there for various editions that can certainly be harvested to enhance the game. Mostly from the second edition. But uh, Talislanta's core book contains everything. A
0: single volume. Yep. From sea- one by. running airship combat to uh, plying the seas to going to other planes of existence and encountering strange creatures there. It's all in one pack. And, of course, you have the uh, unique characteristic that Talzana brings with it, that everything is new. There is nothing that is a rote or well-trotted out uh, trope of fantasy. I mean, you'll find similarities, obviously, if you look hard enough. Oh, sure. But on its sir. surface, you're never really sure of what you're going to encounter. And that what's, is what makes a Talos Linus so great for a fantasy game, especially for people jaded with Dungeons & Dragons, is that it's all new.
1: Yeah, if you've been playing the same game for a long time, one of the reasons that we've broken this out uh, time and time again over the years is because it does provide such a fresh perspective where, you know, you don't know what kind of monsters you might meet in that dungeon. This is not going to be an orc bash. This is going to be something entirely different. Uh, And that refreshing atmosphere has been one of the big selling points for us. It brings us back again and again. And there's so much material in Taloslanta that we, you know, by playing sporadically to break up the monotony and change Mm -hmm. a, change things up from time to time. We've never really exhausted the pool on this one. We've, we haven't we have had to go back to the well and like, oh, one of those again? Yeah, you know. Uh, so uh, we still have a great love in our hearts for this game.
0: Yeah, and if you get a chance, check it out in any of its editions. Uh, They're all fun. And pretty much I think the Wizards of the Coast's version moved the timeline up a little bit with the Kang taking over the Kwan Empire, deposing their fat overlords. And I think the Zah Beastmen Uprising, uh, they had their uh, prophesied leader coming to unite all the uh, Beastmen tribes of the wastes, which uh, caused the big fracas in the Seven Kingdoms. Oh, my. So, nonetheless, if you get a chance to check it out, uh, pick it up. You can find several copies laying in around in your uh, local game store used bin, or you can find them on Flea Bay. Go right ahead <laughs> and get them on there and... Uh, get yourself some towels line on you won't be disappointed
1: oh absolutely this this is well worth the price because it's a single purchase point of entry into a game that you can get a lot of mileage out of and we certainly have so you know we testify to this one this this uh, your gamer dollar will not be ill spent
0: yeah and if we do and this on one note. It, it is kind of a tragedy that it's underrated and underappreciated, and I think it deserves a new addition for the ages.
1: Oh, yeah. It would be great to see uh, a resurgence in Taloslanta now that gaming is, you know, mm-hmm. kind of coming into its own and becoming more popular. I think it would be terrific to see Taloslanta get an, yet another crack at the limelight. Because, uh, you know, it too. I, well, the rising tide lifts all boats. But, it does. Uh, I would love to see Tallis get another crack at uh, being a, a little star. Its little moment in, in the in the spotlight.
0: Indeed. Well, all right. Well, that'll bring us to the end of our podcast, and we appreciate you sticking around for us, and hope you enjoyed it.
1: Yeah. And uh, time to make a little timely note right here at the end. Uh, we're celebrating our one year anniversary. We we did our hundredth episode, but the hundredth episode was not our one year anniversary. Uh, this, however, is, we are yep. in and or around our approximate, you know, one year, 52 weeks, our 52-week uh, sentence mm. to, you are sentenced to podcast.
0: Oh. <laughs> and,
1: and we've subjected all the rest of you to it while
0: we were yep. at it. I'm not in here with you. You're in here with me. And, yeah, okay. <laughs> we'll we'll end it on that note. And uh, so, again, if you enjoyed what you heard, leave us a little note there on Anchor app and uh, just let us know what you think, anything that uh, you want to hear or you want us to do. We're more than appreciative of that. And also keep the call-ins coming as well as letting us know what we're doing right on our Dicer Screaming Facebook page as well as several of our other outlets on Twitter and Instagram and other places. So, just let us know and uh, drop by and leave us a like and a visit. But other than that, we'll end it up with
1: May the the Dice dice always always roll in your your favor.
0: We're out. See ya.